This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Today, I want to talk about the concept of being a force multiplier. I remember years ago when I was in the military, we used this term force multiplier. And what a force multiplier is, it's any resource, any strategy that you use in such a way that you multiply your capabilities because you're using that particular strategy. So it's not the item itself or the strategy itself. It's how you use it, when you use it, and what's the impact. So let me just give a couple of simple examples. I was in the Army. So as a person who's in the Army, we're mostly ground troops. And so our ability and capability is multiplied when we have support from the air, from the Air Force. So if the Air Force is sending aircraft into a conflict and they're giving you air support and top cover in that sense, our ability as ground troops is then multiplied. Similarly, even if you're a ground troop and let's say field artillery is sending in their weapons over and above you to do strategic strikes before you even get there, that's a force multiplier as well. So this whole concept is, how is the Christian executive a force multiplier in the workplace? And I want to talk about the role of the Christian executive as a mentor, as a coach, as someone who is a developer of others. And we also want to just remember And keep in mind that the greatest force multiplier that there is, is God himself. And so when you are a Christian executive and a Christian leader, you have the whole panoply of God's resources at your disposal so that when you're on mission for him, you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or think Because just the presence of God and the tools and the weapons of God multiply everything that you're going to be doing, whether in the workplace, in life, or elsewhere. So let's unpack this concept a little bit so that we can talk about how you can leave the people in your organization and also your organization in a better position because you were there and because you were doing your job as a force multiplier. A lot of what we really are designed to do in the workplace, in essence, is to replicate ourselves in the workplace. And when I say replicate, I don't mean in the same way that you might replicate as a clone, where you make everyone exactly like you, or you hire in your image, such that in essence, you really are turning out clones, if you will. No, I'm talking about a very diverse workforce where people have complementary talents, complementary gifts and abilities, 
and you're assembling all of these together as an essence like the body of Christ, where you've got the hands, you've got the feet, you've got the eyes and the ears, so that when you are gone, there are people in the workplace who know how to lead and who know how to lead with Christian values and principles to leave the organization in a better condition and in a better space. We have to remember that we are in warfare. So it's not an accident that I'm even talking about a military term, a force multiplier. When we think about the devil, the Bible says that the devil is an adversary. He's an enemy and he's prowling around, roaring, seeking whom he may devour. So that's the landscape in which we're operating. We're doing our work is that we've got an enemy in the territory. Now, at the same time, we also know from God that that enemy is defeated. We also know that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world on the enemy's side. Nevertheless, there are some battles and skirmishes that we get involved in as the people of God, even though the ultimate war is already won. And we have to remember that, that the ultimate war is already won. So when I think about a Christian executive as a force multiplier, I think about being the person who is attending to the personal development of other people who are under your charge. And I want to give some examples about that. And one of the things you want to pay attention to is the character of the people that you are leading. And when I think about Jesus Christ, one of the people he attended to in terms of character was Peter. And we know that Peter was aware of some of his gifts and some of his strengths and some of his abilities. And so was Jesus aware of these things as well. Peter was a very bold person. He was willing to walk into a difficult situation and take a bold action. He was very impetuous in many respects. So when it was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this one individual was saying something untoward towards uh, Jesus, you know, Peter just reached out, grabbed the sword, and chopped off his ear and didn't think twice about it. That's how Peter was. He was bold in that respect. He was a natural-born leader. And yet, even though he was bold, even though he was an action taker, and even though he was impetuous, he was the one when they saw Jesus walking on the water, he jumped out and he said, you know, bid me to come to you on the water. And he's walking on the water. Now, of course, he gets a little scared later on after he realized the gravity of the situation and saw the circumstances of the high waves and all of that. And then he started to sink. However, as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus and he remembered his faith, he was able to walk on water just as Jesus was walking on water. And we find too later that at the time when Jesus is about to restore Peter and they're about to have this breakfast that that Jesus has cooked for them on the shore, and it's after his resurrection that when Peter realizes it's Jesus on the seashore, he's the one that jumps into the water and swims to shore, even though the boat wasn't far from land and the others came in the boat. So that's who Peter is. Peter is bold. And even when Jesus was questioned by the Sanhedrin and and brought into this unlawful trial in the middle of the night, 
Peter was the only one of the disciples who followed to find out what might happen to him. Now, we know that Jesus warned Peter in advance and told him that he was going to deny him three times before the cock crowed. And Peter didn't believe that. He recognized he's a loyal person. He's a person of leadership. He's a person of great boldness. He didn't see himself as fearful. And he just could not imagine that what Jesus was predicting about him, that that could possibly come true. And that's because a lot of times when we focus on our core strengths and our core gifts, which we are to focus on, sometimes we don't realize that they have limitations according to aspects about our character that may need to be developed. And there were a few times when Jesus had to kind of upbraid Peter on a few things, like when Jesus was talking about his upcoming crucifixion and the things he would have to suffer. And Peter says, oh no, this is never going to happen to you. And Jesus had to say to him, you don't know what you're talking about. You get behind me, Satan, because he recognized that he's thinking from a worldly perspective, whereas God's plan was certainly that the Messiah would be crucified for the sins of the world. And Peter just, you know, wasn't on that page. He wasn't on that wavelength at the time. So as it turns out, Jesus warns him and he says, look, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And Peter said to Jesus, no way, if everyone else deserts you, there's no way I'm going to desert you. I'll even die with you. I'll die for you. That's how certain he was in his leadership and in his boldness and in his ability and how certain he was that this was not descriptive of him. Of course, Jesus knew that there was this flaw if you will, in his character, and that he was going to become frightened, which was natural to become frightened under the circumstances. And he said to Peter, you know, the devil really desires to come after you and to sift you like wheat. And he says, but I have prayed for you. And he says, and then when you have been strengthened, then go and strengthen your brothers. Now, of course, Peter didn't understand this at the time. However, he would soon see that everything that Jesus had said about him was true. So, in fact, as he's following along to find out in the middle of the night what really is going to become of Jesus and what's going to happen to him, he discovers that there are people gathered around in that environment around the fire and different ones say, well, aren't you one of his disciples? Oh, no, 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 I'm not one of them. Aren't you one of the, you have their accent. You speak like a Galilean. No, I'm not. And he curses and everything else until he finally denies the third time. And then the cock crows. And when he hears the cock crow, that's when he remembers that Jesus had already told him that this was going to happen. And all four gospels report this incident in Peter's life. So he goes out and he weeps bitterly because he really didn't know the flaw that was in his character, a flaw that his gifts and strengths would not necessarily 
on their own overcome. So as the marketplace ministry leader and an executive in your organization, you're going to see people with tremendous gifts and strengths from God. And yet what they don't know is what lies underneath in terms of their character. And until they're put in certain circumstances and are tested to find out what are they really made of, they don't know the vulnerability and they don't know the weakness that they have. So as an executive leader, your job is to help them identify these weaker spots and flaws in their character so that they can grow and so that they have a foundation that's strong enough for the gifts that God has given them so that those gifts and strengths then would be able to be used mightily in the kingdom. And so often we will find, whether it's in the ministry world of pastoral leaders or the executive world of executive leaders, people will rise to the top because of their gifts. They rise to the top because of their strengths and all of those key things about them. And then what causes them to fall and what brings them down are these unrealized and unaddressed character flaws. And Jesus did not want that to happen to Peter. And that's why he spent the time warning him about it and telling him about it. Now, of course, much later, when Jesus restored Peter and he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was a bit more circumspect later after these incidents. And he says, Lord, you know that I love you. And we know in the Greek language, love has many different definitions. We have that highest form of love, the agape love, the kind of love that God has in situations and the love he calls us to have towards one another is the love that wants the best for each person. And what Peter was saying, Lord, you know that I phileo you, which is I love you as a brother, which is a different form of love. He wasn't claiming the top level love at that point, yet it was grieving him that Jesus was asking him these multiple times, Peter, do you love me? And then Peter would say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus would say something like, feed my sheep. Or he might say, feed my lambs. He knew that he was sending Peter into a place where Peter was going to need to nurture the mature believers, the sheep, and the baby believers, the lambs. Jesus knew that Peter would be nurturing those sheep, the mature ones, and the babies, the lambs as well. And so he wanted to know, if you love me, then feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed the ones who are really important to me, the ones that I really care about. And that is the mission that we have in the workplace as well, is to feed the sheep of God, feed the lambs of God, prepare them for the journey, prepare them for the battle. And you are in the marketplace. You are in the workplace because God has sheep and lambs there for you to nurture, for you to develop and take a personal interest in. 
for you to be part of his arsenal as a force multiplier. So Jesus restored Peter and let Peter know that in essence, he was going to build his church. Peter was going to have an important role in opening the doors of that church on that first day back in Acts. And yet the church is built on the rock of the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that the gates of hell were not going to prevail against his church because his church was built on the rock of who he is as the son of God, as the Messiah, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it because he is always protecting and overlooking what happens to the church. And remember, the church is not a building. The church is the people of God, and the people of God are everywhere, wherever he has deployed us to be force multipliers. So in this life of Peter, we see that Jesus spent a lot of attention, time, and energy on developing his character. And with those people in your workplace so talented and gifted, you want to give time and attention also to developing their character. You'll be able to see some things in them that they may not yet be able to see in themselves. Now, of course, we do want to build on people's gifts, their strengths, and their talents. And we want to teach them how to wage warfare, if you will, as good soldiers. And this is a good example of what Paul did with his protege, Timothy. And Timothy was a young man in the faith, and he referred to Timothy as his son from a spiritual point of view. We know that Timothy was raised by his mother and his grandmother, who both were deep followers of God. So he learned the scriptures from them. His father was a Greek, his mother was a Jew, and she was very familiar with the word of God. And so Paul, in developing Timothy, he says to him, look, you are going to have to wage some warfare out here and don't get entangled in worldly affairs and in earthly affairs, because God has a calling for you. God has a mission for you, and you want to pay attention to the directions from your supreme commander, God himself, because you are a soldier in his army. So Paul reminded Timothy about those things, and he also told him, don't get up caught up in vain arguments. Lots of people are going to argue about stuff, and they're going to waste energy and time and all of these vain arguments and repetitions of different things. Don't even get involved in that. Ignore all of those things. You be about the business of preaching the gospel. Be instant in season and out of season. In other words, be prepared at all times and make sure that you select good leaders people who are mature, people who are following God, men of good report. And he gave them all of that kind of counsel and warning. And Paul also told Timothy to avoid greed and to avoid false teachers and false doctrine. These are the temptations. These are the snares that are out there that are going to come along. And he says, and even though you're young, you're a leader 
and you're leading people who are much older than you, you must respect the elders even when you have to correct them. And he told Timothy how to do that. And he warned Timothy that perilous times were coming where people were not going to continue in the straight and narrow. They're not going to be on the up and up. And he says, and you want to gather and gain your strength in the Lord for these perilous times. And he told Timothy to endure hardship as a good soldier. And a good soldier doesn't abandon his post. A good soldier doesn't flee because it gets hard. You still stay on mission, even through the hardships, through the challenges, and through the difficulties, because God has a purpose for you being there, because the Timothys of the world, the Peters of the world, they are force multipliers too. And so you are developing God's force of force multipliers. I also believe that in this time when Paul was developing Timothy and he was talking to him about his gifts, strengths, and talents, he spent a lot of time also talking about the values that were important and that would be important for Timothy's success. And we want to encourage the people in the workplace about the values that God is leading us to and through, because that's how we're going to succeed, is with God's values of honesty and integrity. And that's why he warned him about greed, warned him about the false teachers, because those were going to be traps and those were going to be snares, and people would come to him with that, but God had better for Timothy in mind, and he wanted him to avoid those traps. So in today's world, I believe that God is also raising up what I would call Nehemiahs for today's workplace. And if we think about Nehemiah, he had a strong purpose. He had a strong calling. He's working for the king and he's being called to go back and to build the wall in Jerusalem because the wall's been broken down. The city is exposed to enemies if you will. And so he's the cupbearer to the king. And he ends up speaking to the king, telling the king what his mission is, his heart's desire is to go back and build the wall. And Nehemiah was a very powerful and strong leader in God's kingdom at that time. And so he goes back, he assesses the situation. He had asked for certain amount of provisions, which the king provided, everything that he needed for the mission. And he assembled the people when he got there to eventually let them know why he was there. And he had to squash all kinds of sin amongst the people, all kinds of challenges as he was building that wall. So in the workplace, there are Nehemiahs that God is raising up because they are building projects to be done. There's work that God wants done in his kingdom. And in Nehemiah's time, we're not told that there were really a whole lot of people who necessarily came alongside Nehemiah to strengthen him or to encourage him. But we know that the force multiplier himself, God himself, is the one that gave the vision to Nehemiah. He's the one that gave him the purpose. He's the one that opened the doors to provide everything he needed for this mission. And so 
Nehemiah and God were a force to be reckoned with, if you will. And in the workplace, the Nehemiahs that are being raised up, you may in fact be called to support them. In many ways, you might be holding up the arms, if you will, of the Nehemiahs the same way that God's men held up the arms of Moses in the battle. Because with the arms upraised, then they would be winning the battle. And so you may be one that's called to support a Nehemiah. So there's all of these ways that you can replicate yourself in the workplace. You replicate yourself by developing the people that God has given you, attending to their personal development, attending to their character, attending to their strengths and gifts and how they're deployed, attending to their values, attending to their specific purpose and call in that workplace, if they're to be a wall builder or whatever it is that God has called them to. God wants to grow, to nurture and develop this new and next generation. He's developing some new ideas and you may function as fertilizer in that process. You are there to grow the person, to grow other people, to grow the organization. You have a contribution to make that's going to leave that workplace and the people in the workplace in a better position. You are resourcing your organization with the right talent, with the right strengths that they're going to need for the future and for the opportunities of the future. As the coach, as the mentor in the workplace, you are listening, you are hearing what your leaders are saying, and you're reflecting some things back to them, you become a testing ground for some of the ideas that they are sharing with you. And you're helping them to begin with the end in mind, to think about the legacy that they are creating in the workplace because they're beginning and living that legacy today. And it's going to also continue in the future. You're also there to warn them about the signs that you see ahead, the dangers that you see ahead. You're like a captain of a ship who's a seasoned sailor. You've been on many rough seas before, and now you are benefiting others with that experience and with that wisdom. You're helping those in the workforce to evaluate the opportunities all around them and to develop their people. So you're giving a model by how you're developing them, by how they in turn can develop their people. So you're using encouragement and you're creating a safe space for people to talk about even the harebrained ideas that occur to them because talking to you about them first helps them to test them, to vet them, and to see what God is really calling them to do. Sometimes, as that confidant, you are exercising tough love, and you're issuing a challenge to them in the workplace as well. And you're keeping your eyes open for what does that corporation need? What does the business need? And how can your people use their gifts to fulfill those needs 
of the business. So every day you are keeping an eye out to bring clarity, to bring practical wisdom, to be a sounding board, to think in terms of strategy, you're results focused, and you're attending to accountability. Because as a force multiplier, you want all of the gifts and talents that God has given your people to be used for the greatest benefit in the organization and also for the kingdom of God. So I hope you'll take seriously your role as a force multiplier because God has important work for you to do in the workplace. And because you are there, others will be able to do far more than they ever thought was possible. So I'm going to close today's segment with 1 Timothy, the third chapter, and verses 14 through 16. And they read as follows. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. So as a force multiplier, you are there in the workplace to show other like-minded people how to conduct themselves in the workplace, how to be ambassadors for Christ, living out the values and principles of God every day in all that they do. And when we do that, and when we show love in the workplace, we are always then being an example and drawing people's eye to the God of love, who is the one who's filled us with his love. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.